on this Easter morning about how far the resurrection really goes. Sometimes we hear the Easter story and we receive it more like a climactic special effect in a Hollywood blockbuster. The dead man comes out of the grave as if that were the whole point. And this morning, God wants to invite us to celebrate something even deeper and greater than the resurrection of the body. And we're going to explore that together this morning in God's Word. If you want to open your Bible to Mark's Gospel, chapter 16, we'll spend a few minutes together this morning doing that. And and as we're getting ready, let me say something you already know. There are moments in life that make every other part of life look different. You've probably noticed this. There are moments in life that make everything else look... When you become a parent for the first time, the whole world looks different. When you get married, when you receive Christ as your Savior, there are moments in life that make everything else look different. Easter Sunday is one of those moments. It is, of course, a great celebration of the fact that death can be defeated. It won't have the last word on us. That, in fact, death has been defeated. And because of Easter morning, because of that, everything else looks different. Karen Hansen of Peoria, Illinois, tells about her son, just a little guy, who got scared when the family moved to a new house, which happened to be across the street from a big cemetery. He'd seen too many zombies and ghosts on TV, and he was just not comfortable with the cemetery being right there. But on Easter morning, as she tells the story, he went to church with his family and he learned about the resurrection. And something clicked in his little heart. And on the way home, as they were driving back home, he noticed a graveside being prepared, a hole in the ground for somebody who who was going to be in a memorial service. And he got excited and he shouted, he said, Dad, look, somebody got out early. (laughs) Everything looked different to him after he learned about the resurrection. In the same way, things look different to us when we understand how deep and how far the resurrection goes. Not just the resurrection of the body, glorious as that is, but as we're going to see in a moment, even farther. And there are moments that change the way We see everything. I love the story. I I think I shared it once before about the woman who went to the dentist's office and as she was sitting there in the waiting room realized that the name on the diploma hanging on the wall was a name she recognized. In fact, it was a tall, dark, and handsome boy that she had had a crush on back in high school and she wondered, could it be the same guy? When she got into the office and and saw a balding, gray-haired man with a deeply lined face, she thought, no way, he's way too old to have been my classmate. Still, after her exam, she decided to take a chance, and she asked him, she said, did you go to Bellamy Park High School by any chance? Yes, I did, he smiled. I'm a proud Bellamy Park bulldog. Wow, she said, me too. When did you graduate? He said, 1979. She said, that's amazing. You were in my class. 
He paused for a moment, looked at her closely and said, really, what did you teach? (laughs) And in that moment, everything looked different. In that moment, everything seemed different. In the same way, Jesus wants to change the way you see death and the way you see resurrection. And we're going to talk about that this morning. The Bible says that Jesus came to make everything look different to you and me. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 15 tells us that he came to free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. I wonder if there isn't some slavery happening inside of you when it comes to the subject of death. Lots of us avoid it, don't want to talk about it. And then, as I said earlier, sometimes we make resurrection just a physical thing. Being free from the fear of death means that it loses its power over you. It can no longer steal your joy or your peace or your freedom. It can't cast a shadow over your heart or mind. That's what Easter is meant to do in us. It's also meant to set us free from the fear that can control us and make us do sometimes some really awful things like abandon a marriage or a family because of what our culture calls a midlife crisis but which God calls a sin. Sometimes we feel the clock ticking, death drawing near and in desperation, in fear, We act out in ways that are awful. Some of us trade away our integrity for fear of missing out on some cheap earthly thrill. Or or we give in to depression and anxiety because we, we think of death as this awful thing closing in on us. Or maybe worst of all, the fear of death makes us unable to be brave and good even when we want to, even when we really want to. I came across a website this week that that lists hundreds of incidents of crowds panicking into stampedes. You probably heard about some of this on the news. I had no idea how often this has actually happened. There's literally a list of hundreds of stampedes where people panicked, where fear took over a crowd, and as a consequence... Other people lost their lives. One of the stories was just so gripping. It was a New Year's Eve celebration in in Ivory Coast in the west of Africa. And it was a wonderful family planned night. And, And so there were lots, thousands of families out at this celebration. And when it was over and people were going home, there was a loud noise in the dark. Nobody to this day knows what it was. But this loud noise sparked such fear and such a panic that the crowd began to stampede. And as a consequence, 60 people lost their lives. They were trampled to death by a panicked crowd. And here's the part that got me. 26 of them were little children. You know, I hear that and I think to myself... I don't want to be one of the people who survived that stampede if I learn that as a result of my fear and panic, 26 or one child lost their lives. And the list was long, into the hundreds, into the thousands. Fear 
of death can make monsters of us. It's what happened in every one of those situations. But on the other side of the coin, I'm kind of celebrating a new hero this year in my world. Lost in all the news about the mosque shootings in New Zealand a while, a couple months ago where 42 people died. Lost in all that story is the fact that the shooter actually stopped off at another mosque on his way. He actually had targeted another mosque, but when he got there and got out to start shooting, a guy who has become one of my heroes, and this is the third time I get to pronounce his name and I haven't messed it up yet, so here we go, Abdul Aziz Wahabzadah. There I go, I win, pat myself on the back. A husband and father of four. He was in the parking lot, heard the first few shots that this guy aimed at the mosque and the people in it. And instead of going into a a panic, instead of being overcome by fear, here's where Abdul becomes my hero. He looked around and the only thing he could find was a credit card reader on the desk. And so he tore it out of the wall and started stalking the shooter. Right? All the guys, don't you feel that? With a credit card reader. And he got close enough to the guy that he hurled the credit card reader at him, surprised him, caught him off guard. He dropped the shotgun. And then he pulled out a handgun and started shooting at Abdul. Still, Abdul didn't panic and stampede. Instead, he started dodging between cars and fences, stalking the shooter. When he was asked later why he did that, he said simply, I wanted to distract him so he wouldn't shoot anyone else. He tracked him throughout the parking lot under fire until finally he happened on the guy's shotgun, picked it up and started chasing the guy with it. The guy ran. He got into his car. Abdul chased him to his car. He tried to shoot him with the shotgun, found out it was out of ammo. So he threw it at him, which shattered a window. The guy was so scared he drove away. And nobody else died at that mosque. You know what that is? That's freedom from the fear of death. And that's what God wants for us. That's what it looks like. It feels like the ability to be good, to do good, because you aren't afraid anymore. That's what Jesus' resurrection brings to us. But it doesn't just happen because of the resurrection of the body. And we're going to explore that a little bit this morning. Maybe you didn't know that Jesus' resurrection wasn't the first or the last, or the only resurrection on Easter weekend, or in history. The Bible tells us that resurrection has often been the experienced reality of the people of God in the presence of God. It happened a lot even before Easter. If you go back in your Bible in the Old Testament to 1 Kings chapter 17, you can read the story about the resurrection of a widow's son by the prophet Elijah raised him from the dead after praying over him. You move a little bit further into 2 Kings chapter 13, you can read about a man who was resurrected from the dead when he was thrown into the tomb of the prophet Elijah. And inside of that tomb, God's power resurrected him. Jesus frequently 
resurrected people. In Luke chapter 7, we read the story of a, a funeral procession where a woman's only son was on his way to the cemetery to be buried and a crowd of mourners was walking through the street with him. Jesus came upon the scene and he interrupted it. Seeing the woman's grief, he raised her son from the dead and gave him back to her on the spot. And when they went back to the house that afternoon to have the cold fried chicken and potato salad, it was a little different than they thought it would be because the boy was alive again. And the Bible tells us that on another occasion, Jesus was approached by a father whose daughter was desperately sick and he agreed to go and heal her. The father was sure he could, but on the way they were delayed and as a consequence, she passed away and the father and his bride were distraught. They thought the chance to heal her has passed. Jesus says, no, I got this. And he went into her room and he raised her from the dead. The scripture tells us in John chapter 11 about the Lord raising Lazarus from the dead, a dear friend of his, a, a member of a family that was close to him. And and he raised him from the dead in front of a huge crowd, demonstrating again his power over physical death. And here's the thing you might not have known. Here's the thing that might surprise you, that a whole bunch of resurrections actually happened on Easter weekend. Matthew's gospel tells us that when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice on the cross, he gave up his spirit. And at that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and catch this, Tombs broke open, and the bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. And they came out of the tombs, and after Jesus' resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many people. That would spice up your Easter dinner, wouldn't it? Wow! Imagine what that was like. Must have made Mulder and Scully crazy. And, and, and when you think about these many resurrections and family members and friends being reunited, we can only imagine how amazing that was. Someone will say, if it really happened, Pastor Greg, it would have changed the world. And you're right, it did. That's why we're still celebrating it 2,000 years later. That's why there's a couple billion of us this weekend celebrating Easter. And resurrections continued to happen, friends, after Easter. Acts chapter 9 tells us how the apostle Peter prayed for a woman named Dorcas who had passed away of an illness, who had died, and she came back to life right in front of many witnesses. And Acts chapter 20 tells us how a, a guy named Eutychus went to church. He was sitting in a second floor window. The pastor just kept going on and on. He fell asleep, fell out of the window, and died because of Paul's sermon, which always makes me feel a little better about mine. <laughs> But he fell out the window and died. And the Apostle Paul went downstairs, laid hands on him, and he came back to life. This resurrection thing happens a lot, actually, when we begin to pay attention. There's a wonderful film in the theaters now that I would recommend to you. It's called Breakthrough. It tells the true story of a mother in Illinois whose son fell into a frozen lake and as a consequence, his brain was deprived of oxygen. He was in a coma when he came out and the doctor said there's no brain activity. There's nothing going on there. He can't recover. He won't recover. And in the film, she prays fervently for him. She pours out her heart in, in seeking God and praying. And, and his brain begins to work again. The doctors say, we don't know how. But he came back to life again. It's a resurrection. 
But let's stop for a moment, church, and think about this. Because here's the reality for every single person we just remembered. Lazarus, the widow's son, Tabitha, Dorcas, all of them. Every last one that was resurrected, guess what happened? Eventually, they died again. <laughs> you ever thought about that? You ever wonder what it was like the second time? Oh yeah, got done this before. Got a t-shirt actually. It's all... <laughs> every last one of them. And the reason I bring that to your attention is because a physical resurrection, church, is not what we need most. In fact, it's only part of what Jesus comes to bring us at Easter. Certainly it is real. Absolutely we celebrate it. But, but hear me, friends. If resurrection by itself solved our problems, then Jesus would have spent his time on earth doing nothing else. And he certainly wouldn't have gone to the cross and given up his own life. But he did. In fact, he insisted on it. Why? The answer is a little deeper. Because while the resurrection of the body proves that death has been defeated, our real problems go a little deeper than that. Resurrecting the body won't fix the heart or the mind or the soul. It can't. Because the real you and me is much more than just meat and chemistry and electricity. Do you think any of those resurrected people as they went into their second time around life had any conflicts with their neighbors? Probably. Had any struggles in their relationships? Probably. Do you think they had to pay mortgages and water bills and worry about the weather and raising kids and all that stuff? Yeah, see, the physical resurrection wasn't the answer to all their challenges. That's because you and I are much more than bodies. Matter of fact, there's, a, there's an amazing moment in the Genesis story, story of Adam and Eve, that, that most of us miss. Chapter 3, verses 22 and 23 tell us that after Adam and Eve sinned, first of all, notice something, because we're going to come back to it in just a couple of minutes as we close. When Adam and Eve sinned, God didn't run away from them. He came for them. They ran away from him. And God, understanding what had happened to them, says this in chapter 3 of Genesis, speaking of mankind, he says, he must not be allowed now to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished man from the Garden of Eden, a banishment that will end when we get to heaven. But, but understand what God's saying in this moment. Because of what's happened to the inside of mankind, a resurrection would actually be the worst thing that could happen to mankind. Because if he has eternal life, he'll never seek the healing on the inside. C.S. Lewis writes marvelously, marvelously about this in Mere Christianity. He says, hey, if you and I only live 70 years or so, then our worst characteristics can only get so bad. Let's say my temper is slowly getting bad or my lust or my greed or my pride. In the course of 70 years, it can only get so bad and then, and then I'm gone. But if, as Christianity declares, all people are going to live forever, then what happens to that slowly growing temper, lust, greed, pride? 
over a million years or 10 million years, it becomes hell. You see, the Bible tells us that all of us will live forever. The question is, where and with whom? <laughs> and that question is deeper than a mere physical resurrection. As parents, we know that our kids need to learn lessons on the inside before they can be set free from consequences on the outside. And so we ground them and discipline them and, and deny them until we know they've learned, until we know their hearts have changed. So it is with a father God. The resurrection of the body is no substitute for the resurrection of the heart, the mind, the soul. And that's why the most important thing that happened at Easter isn't the resurrection of the body, but the finished work on the cross that is demonstrated by the resurrection of the body. Let me dwell on this for just a moment with you before we finish. The Apostle Peter, his story at Easter is my favorite part of the story. At the beginning of it, Peter is so full of self-confidence that when Jesus says, hey, tough times are coming, I'm going to be arrested and turned over to the chief priests and teachers of the law, Peter says something that I think I might have said because I'm just that dumb. Peter says, Lord, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. I'm all in. Jesus looked at him and said, Peter, you don't even know yourself. When the chips are down, your courage, your faith, your love for me will fail. When the chips are down, your fear of death will overcome you. And in a matter of hours, the Bible says that's exactly what happened. Jesus was arrested. Peter was nearby. Some people said, hey, you're with him, aren't you? He's your guy. He's your rabbi. You're one of his disciples. Peter said, nope, no way. Don't know the man, never have. And he cussed and swore to emphasize his, that he had nothing to do with Jesus. The scripture says in that moment, Jesus turned and their eyes met. Can you imagine what that felt like to Peter? It feels like what a lot of us feel when we know we've sinned and failed God. And because of that feeling, the scripture says Peter went outside and wept bitterly. It's easy to understand. He had learned something about himself, and it wasn't a good thing. And the truth is, a lot of us have learned things about ourselves that we're not proud of. And as a consequence, we tend to hang back from God. We tend to keep our distance even if it's only in the deepest corners of our hearts. But the scripture tells us, and this is where I want to finish this morning, in Mark's gospel, chapter 16, what happened on Easter morning. The Bible says that when the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go and anoint Jesus' body. And very early on the first day of the week after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb and wondering who will roll the stone away from the entrance. But when they got there and looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled away. And they entered the tomb 
And there they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Matthew and Luke tells us this was no ordinary guy. This was an angel. Don't be alarmed, the angel said. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He is risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he's going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. In other words, guess what? This resurrection thing has happened again, only this time the guy brought himself back to life, which takes it up a notch. But then he says, tell his disciples to meet him in Galilee. Because this physical resurrection is only to make something greater possible the ongoing relationship that they will have with him. And and in that moment, there's two little words that the angel speaks that I love and that I'm reminded of every single Easter. The angel said, go tell his disciples and Peter. Be sure you mention Peter by name. I can just see God the Father saying to the angel, look, you forget things sometimes. Do not forget this or I will lop those wings off, I'm telling you. (laughs) Go tell his disciples and Peter. Mention him by name. Why? Because God knew that Peter would hear of the resurrection, hear of the invitation to meet him in Galilee, and would exclude himself from that invitation because of his failure. You know, think about it. Peter had seen resurrections before. Peter's reaction isn't going to be, no, that can't happen. He'd already seen it on a number of occasions. But here's the problem. A physical resurrection of Jesus for Peter, well, that wouldn't have been enough. Peter was afraid to look him in the eye again. Peter was ashamed to look him in the eye again. Peter knew what he'd said and done, and Peter thought to himself, a body can be resurrected. But this relationship, this friendship, it's dead. It can't live again. And knowing that he felt like that, God said to the angel, be sure you mention Peter by name so that Peter will know that he is wanted, that he is called, that his failures cannot keep him from my love. You know, this morning there's a lot of us that carry shame and guilt and grief. Some of us who've chosen to follow Jesus and then as we went along our way, we began to discover things about ourselves we do not want to know. And we've failed, we've fallen short, we've turned away, just like Peter did. And we've assumed in our hearts that that friendship with God can't be resurrected. But Jesus says, my physical resurrection is so I can meet with you again, Peter, so that I can restore you, so that in our hearts we can discover again who we're meant to be. I want to invite you to consider putting your name into that moment. Go tell his disciples and Greg to meet him in Galilee. Go tell his disciples and Dave. 
Go tell his disciples and Melody and Wendy and Jennifer and Bill and put your name in there because what Easter reveals is that resurrection isn't just the body. It's also the heart and the mind and the soul of a Father God forever. It's also, also the restoration of that relationship that is broken by sin. That's what Easter's about. So we jump and scream and celebrate not only because a body came back to life, but because of what it reveals about the heart of the one who lives in that body seeking us. It's that resurrection that lasts forever. That's why Jesus called for Peter by name. That's why he calls for us by name as well. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes? Father, this morning, we marvel at your heart in this moment when you sent the angel to call for Peter. God, even though he had failed you so much more than the other disciples, still you sought him, you called him, you included him among them. And in the same way, you want us to come and meet with you despite our failures. God, teach us to understand that so that this Easter celebration would be even deeper than we thought it could be. It's not just about the reanimation of a body, but the resurrection of a friendship, the resurrection of our relationship with you. Help us to understand that, that we might be set free. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never received Jesus Christ as your Savior. Know this, whatever you've done, wherever you've been, however far away you've wandered from God, Easter reveals that he's seeking you and that in this moment you can come to him. He said whenever two or more of us gather together, he would be in our midst. He's here now. He sees and hears your heart. You can, in this moment, draw near to him despite your failures. Maybe you're here this Easter morning and you've gotten a little bit jaded because you've looked in the mirror and discovered things about yourself, even though you've chosen to follow Jesus that you didn't want to know. Know this, Jesus is calling you, despite all those failures, to draw near to him. His love for you is that great. His desire for you is that personal that he calls you by name when you're at your worst. God, we thank you for what Easter reveals about your heart to us. And we pray this morning that you would set us free from the fear of death as we understand how deep your grace goes. And we pray that this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me, church?